At the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, we try to approach the issues of life, marriage, religious liberty, and fiscal integrity from a biblical perspective that promotes thoughtfulness and kindness. We work with political leaders and concerned citizens from all across the state. To stay informed, visit CommonwealthMatters.org and sign up for our e-newsletter. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit organization that only exists because of friends like you. Thanks for tuning in to the Commonwealth Matters. Welcome to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson here with good friend and pastor uh, Brant Lyon. Brant, welcome to the program. Thanks, Richard. Nice to be with you again. Today, we're going to talk about the wonders of the universe. Scientists at NASA have released pictures from the Webb Telescope, which, Brant, I don't know if you knew this, it's the world's biggest and most powerful telescope in space. I heard that. I heard it was like 100 times more powerful than the Hubble. That's correct. That's correct. And have you had a chance to see some of the photos, by the way? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. It looks like... uh, Almost like an artist's rendition of, I'm thinking of, I think, was it Van Gogh's Starry Night? They look like paintings, almost, yes. of um, the stars, the colors. The uh, There's one photo of, um, look like mountains, actually. Wow. And the mountains are actually seven light years in distance from the very bottom to the top. Wow. And so the, so the Webb uh, Telescope is a multinational, several-year effort to put this thing into space. It was launched back in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is uh, a million miles out right now. And they use um, infrared technology is what they're doing. It's not mm-hmm. just a camera that you think of a typical camera taking pictures, but they're using this technology to get views of space that are unlike anything we've ever seen before. They've seen further into space and more of um, different galaxies than we've ever seen before. Did you catch also that I read somewhere that the space in that main picture we keep seeing is like holding a grain of sand at arm's length, and that's the size of space that you're seeing out in the distance. And, of course, you can see several galaxies within that. Which is stunning when you think in that little itty bitty space, you see that much, and how much more is out there? Yeah, and that's what they—that's what they've acknowledged. They're just looking at a sliver or a grain of sand yeah. into space. Now that's just remember, um, space is multi-dimensional. They're looking in one direction. It's not just north, south, east, and west, but it's the points on a compass. It is in other directions. It's. It's horizontal, it's vertical, and it's uh, diagonal, right? Yeah. And they're seeing a sliver of a sliver. And so here's what Kentucky Today said uh, in a, a story that they wrote about this. A sparkling landscape of baby stars, a foamy blue and orange view of a dying star, five galaxies in a cosmic dance. The splendors of the universe glowed in a new batch of images released Tuesday from NASA's powerful new telescope. The unveiling of the $10 billion James Webb Space Telescope began Monday at the White House with a sneak peek of the first shot, Mm. a jumble of distant galaxies that went deeper into the cosmos than humanity has ever seen. Brent, several of the comments from astronomers and other scientists were almost uh, on religious terms. Just they were very moved by what they saw. Didn't know what to expect. 
they're very moved. Here's what um, one uh, scientist, Miles O'Brien, was on CNN uh, describing one of the photos. And he said this, I'm a little verklempt. He started to choke up as he was uh, describing that photo. He says, it's stunning. It's beautiful. What we're looking at is a nursery where stars are born. Mm. Um, so I wanted us to talk about this on the Commonwealth Matters program because, first of all, it's big news. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's showing us the wonders of science and technology and how it's giving us a glimpse into the universe. And as Christians, uh, we can look at this as um, uh, trying to understand more about what God has created. I think right. of the, uh, the the proverb that says that, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the uh, glory of kings to find it out. Mm-hmm. And I think of this, the universe and what they discovered through the Webb telescope has always been there. Uh, and, and so I want us to kind of unpack some of the, uh, the, the comments and the observations. And um, one thing that I'm impressed, I want to say this about the scientists, they they have uh, their their curiosity is great. We are built for curiosity. Mm-hmm. I think their wonder and awe of what they're seeing that's awesome. Mm-hmm. We should be filled with with awe of creation. Um, but as I mentioned, it was almost in religious terms that some of the uh, scientists were speaking. And this is what uh, NASA senior uh, web scientist John Mather said. He's also a Nobel laureate. So, so Mr. Mather said this after the reveal, it's the beauty, but also the story. It's the story of where did we come from? So I want to start with this. Is this observation made by NASA scientists helped with the assistance of the Webb telescope? Is that observation something new? Is this really a new story? I'm going to pitch it to you, Brant. That's a that's a softball to the pastor who <laughs> should know something about origins. Even though you're not a scientist, yeah. you're approaching the idea of origins from a different perspective. Oh, absolutely. No, and it's it's not hard for us to imagine that, that God created all of this. Um, it is interesting that you know they talk about this being the, the, the story of our origins, and yet what would it really even tell us? I mean, how much can it tell us when you can't really tell where any of this came from? I mean, how did all this stuff come into being to begin with? You you probably remember or at least have heard about Carl Sagan's series of Cosmos back in the 70s. And, of course, he started off the program with, you know, that that phrase, uh, you know, this is all there ever was, all there ever will be, that kind of thing. Can I help you? Because that's something yeah. that's stuck in my mind. Uh-huh. The, the cosmos is all that it ever was, was ever is and all oh, that ever will be. be there you go and it's almost a um play on genesis one yes right yes that's exactly in right the beginning god created the heavens and the earth <laughs> what was fascinating about sagan is that he tried to bring such awe and wonder out of the universe and he, and he caught that i think this is worthy of awe and wonder and so he caught the awe and wonder, and then he would dumb it down by saying that this is all there ever was, is, and ever will be. And then he went on to talk about how uh, even what we're made up of, the very atoms that we're made up of, are, are the same thing that makes up the stars, and we are, in essence, stardust. Well, if there's no meaning behind it, no creator behind it, and I'm going to die someday, who cares? 
It's so it's almost as though he is urging forward to find the awe and the wonder and then misses it. The awe and the wonder is that everything you're seeing in that in that picture and everything else in the universe is still contained within that universe that God is outside of and created. Your awe and wonder is outside of that universe. That speaks of the wonder of the one that's outside of it. So, Brent, I, and I agree with you, by the way, and that's a great uh, uh, a great point in bringing up Carl Sagan because he was considered one of the great. Um, he was, and he was a brilliant mind. Yeah, he was a brilliant mind. He did did a great job with his. Um, the, I think it was Nova where he did those um, uh, documentaries about the universe. Um, so, Brent, I'm going to play devil's advocate. So, we have these scientists over here, educated men. They put together this amazing piece of technology in the web telescope, and they're interpreting these pictures. They're trying to figure out the origins of the universe. They're trying to figure out um, if there's the possibility of life out there. They're trying to understand more about black holes, all these other things, which is laudable. These are good. We, we want to, God gives us a mind to, uh, to use, a mind to figure out creation, um, but I can think of the, the listeners out there right now who might be saying, well, these are scientists, they're educated. And then we've got a pastor over here, and I'm not downplaying pastors, but I'm thinking in the modern mind would say, well, here's a pastor with an old book and some opinions. Right. How do you right, respond right, right. to that? Well, that's interesting. You know, everybody's got a worldview through which they're interpreting these things. And let's be honest, even the scientific observations and and the more secular um explanation of these things start with a worldview that is purely speculative. Nobody can go back and see how did all of these things spring into being. And so a scientist might go back to, to the Big Bang. We're going to go back to, um, to a, reveal, a revealed world, word that says that God spoke it into existence. But now here's the thing. I think we as Christians have, have several things on our side. Number one, we have the experience of the transformation of the Holy Spirit within us. And so there is a experiential element of it. But secondly, there is, uh, there's the truth of the word, uh, the way that so much of it, uh, the prophecies and things of the word have come true, the way that we can trust the word, always have been able to trust the word. Third, I think, and this is so interesting to me, everything theological to me comes back to the resurrection, which it's it's an interesting leap to start off with stars billions of miles away and, and then get back to the resurrection. But the resurrection to me is, number one, so historically by, uh, verifiable. Uh, and, and if Jesus spoke of, I am, uh, I'm going to be killed three days later, I'm, I'm going to come again. He's either going to do that or not. And when he does it, not only is it going to validate him as the son of God, it's going to validate what he says is the word of God. And I think, again, there's a roundabout way of going back and saying we can trust the revealed word of God that says that God spoke this into existence. And if God can speak that into existence, that is an amazingly powerful God. That is. That reminds me of a uh, statement that Glenn Scrivener, a uh, theologian pastor in the UK, said years ago about the divinity of Christ. And uh, he said this that uh, materialists believe in the virgin birth of the universe, the Big Bang Theory, right? Mm -hmm. Came out of nothing, and it was a great big miracle. Exactly. Uh, Whereas Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Choose your miracle. Right. I mean, so there's a miracle on both ends. There's a miracle either way. Even though, so these scientists are seeing 
further into the universe than we've ever seen before. And by no means is it exhaustive. It's just a sliver, as we're talking, a grain of sand, really, that they're looking into. And yet um, some are purporting to talk about understanding about origins to a, to a greater degree. Mm. Uh, this is what... Um, this is what European Space Agency director Joseph Ashbacher said. We've really changed the understanding of our universe. And I would say that we've, we have a better picture of the universe. We're seeing more of the universe. But I'm going to go further and say that apart from the idea of a creator, um, we really haven't changed our understanding. We're able to see more. Right. We're, we're in a sense, we're acknowledging our ignorance. Yeah. Aren't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Brant, how, how do we, in this scientific age, and it's arguably not necessarily all scientific when you look at some developments on the social cultural front, but generally science is revered and it's respected. Right. And uh, people look to science to tell them the truth. I mm -hmm. want to go press a little further into mm -hmm. this idea of a creator, um, a supernatural realm, an explanation other than science. How do you, how would you explain or respond to somebody who says that science tells us everything or it can tell us about the origins of the universe? Yeah. Again, I come back to the, to the idea that science in many ways is nothing more than speculation. I mean, certainly they're, and I, I, you don't want to dumb it down too much. I'm thankful for astronomers. They're, they're learning so much that help us understand things about the universe, the way that things work. Uh, and so we want to be respectful and understand there's a lot of learning, but there's also a worldview foundation because again, nobody can go back to the origins of the universe and see what actually happened. And so you take the facts that you have built on the worldview that you own and you come out with with some idea, some theory of what happened. Mm -hmm. And again, I think uh, here's here's what I always think. Um, I, I believe that you cannot look at the vastness of the universe and think of all of that coming out of nothing. Some, it came from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And if there is if there is that God out there who created us, surely there is some desire to reveal himself to us. Mm -hmm. And so I think going back to the revealed word of God always is, is the best way of understanding this universe. Yeah. Yeah. If I could pick up on your point mm -hmm. about science and you're, I'm not hearing that you're demeaning science at all, but science is limited in a couple of regards. One is it's filtered through our understanding. It's mm -hmm. human beings. We're limited, finite human beings that, None of us, or all of us even collectively, cannot know everything there is to know about the universe. We're very limited. And we just admitted that with the launching of the Webb Telescope. Right. But here's a definition of science. It is the pursuit of pursuit and application of knowledge and understanding of the natural and social world following a systematic methodology based on evidence. Okay? It, it includes the following. Scientific methodology includes the following. Objective observation, measurement and data, possibly, although and not necessarily using mathematics as a tool. That's a simple uh, working definition from the Science Council. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so this is, it's, it's, it's observation. There's a method by which we um, observe. And then it's application of what we're observing. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, it's, it is filtered through 
human beings, which right. is going to limit um, limit it. You know, there right. could be a, for example, <laughs> there could be a part of the universe, uh, and there's much of most of the universe we have no idea, but there could be something in some part of the universe that gives a whole new revelation to us that might even turn scientific principles or ideas on their head. And by the way, scientific principles have changed over time because right. of new right. scientific discoveries. So the point is, is that we are limited in our knowledge, and therefore we should temper our thinking. Science is not, first of all, cannot deliver all the answers, and it cannot speak to all the truth. So uh, it's almost as though the idea of of settled science is 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 an oxymoron, because science in and of itself is is the the constant pursuit of answers. Anytime you say something settled, it's almost as though it's we're saying there's no more need to look into it any further. Don't bother looking at it any further. And and over time, we have seen so many scientific things that seem settled that we found out were incorrect, and we've uh, we've we've changed our views on. And I think one thing about the Word of God is it truly it never changes, and it's something that, that is reliable, Brent. The word of God says this in Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Amen. Isn't that true? After seeing Absolutely. some of those pictures on the web? Yes, it is. I mean, it's proclaiming God's handiwork. It, uh, to, to look at those photos and to say, oh my goodness, this was just a big accident. <laughs> There's nothing behind that. Right. That is, um, goes against the grain of what I think we all know in our hearts, that this is majestic, it's beautiful. And there's something behind it. Absolutely. And I just, I just preached out of Psalm 144 the other day. And, and here's what it says in, uh, in verses uh, three and four. Mm-hmm. Oh Lord, what is man that you regard him? Mm-hmm. Or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. You know, you look into the vastness of space and, and you sort of, you get that sense of awe and wonder of going out of all that, Lord, why would you consider me? I am nothing. But a speck of dust on a simple planet far into the galaxy, wide as, and yet the rest of this psalm speaks of God's loving care for his people. And again, the God that created all of that stuff loves me and you so much that he sent his own son to die for us. That, to me, is something worthy of our awe and wonder. I agree entirely. The, uh, the idea that there's a God, a loving, personal God, behind the creation of the universe, so mm-hmm. a loving, personal God who cares deeply enough about us to give his entire self up for us to the point of death, That's right, dying, so that he could make all things new, so that he could uh, forgive us of our sins and reconnect us to God the Father. That's an amazing story. That's right. And, and it's true, because as you mentioned, you've seen it in your life and in the lives of other believers. You've seen it true in Scripture. You've seen prophecy fulfilled. You've seen how God has worked mm-hmm. in the lives of others. And we've also seen it in community. I want to bring it to this third point. Okay. That today we long for community. We're very, very isolated. Right. COVID made it even worse when we couldn't go to our daily routines, our work, our churches, our support um, networks, visiting with friends. But we are people made for community, and yet we're very isolated. Our technology isolates us. People living virtual lives through social media. That's true. Uh, people that are very disconnected. So we see the truth of God, though, um, 
and the spirit in community, in mm-hmm. Christian community, you see this very different way of doing life, a different way of relating to one another. And that is attractive when we in the church do community well. Amen. And that and that's, that's biblical because Jesus said, and this is how the world will know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. Right. It's this otherworldly love that allows us to live in community, to uh, meet each other's needs, to bear each other's burdens, to to uh, have friendships. You know, and, it's even if, of course, we we planted our, our campus over in Georgetown and have been meeting over at Scott County High School. And the first thing everybody asks is, so when we have a building? And and my, my pat answer is, I'm not trying to build a building, I'm trying to build a church. And that idea is exactly what you're talking about, that community, because that is what is distinctively different about the church from, from any other organization, is that love that you feel amongst one another. And there's something beautiful in that. There really is. Brent, let's take a quick break. Okay. Uh, we've gone over the usual break time, but we'll take a quick break and we'll be back. In just a moment. Hi, Richard Nelson here with the Commonwealth Policy Center. It's clear that the news media isn't always fair. In fact, there's lots of far-left bias and political gamesmanship. No surprise there. So if you're looking for a perspective that's grounded in the truth of Scripture and our nation's founding principles, then get plugged into CPC's resources. Sign up for our e-newsletter at CommonwealthPolicyCenter.org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Commonwealth Policy Center. And we're on Twitter at cpc for kentucky Welcome back to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson, Executive Director of the Commonwealth Policy Center, here with Brant Lyon. And we are talking about the pictures that have been released from the Webb Telescope. And Brant, we were just talking before the break about how fascinating and wonderful these pictures are. I want to go back to some of the comments that some of the scientists are saying. This is uh, European Space Agency Director General. Uh, I'm sorry. Now, web project scientist. I already quoted the other guy a minute ago. Uh, web project scientist Klaus Hantapaden. He said this, referring to the pictures. This is art. I really wanted to have that landscape. It has that contrast. We have that blue. We have golden. There's dark. There's bright. There's just a sharp image. And uh, I, I. First of all, I agree with him. This is art. It looks like a painting right. uh, from one of the great Renaissance painters. Mm-hmm. But here's here's my question. If this is art, and it's absolutely astounding, this does not appear to be an accident, some cosmic explosion. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying God could have used an explosion to create the universe. I don't know the means or the right. methods. Right. But it's artistry, as this scientist has pointed out. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's artistry, doesn't that point to an artist? Absolutely, it does. Art doesn't just happen by itself. No, it does not. No, it does. and there is there's design to art. Uh, there is meaning and purpose behind art, and it certainly seems that there is design behind that. And I think you're exactly right. Genesis one fourteen through nineteen says this. Well, I'm going to go back to Genesis one one. Mm-hmm. This is the biblical response to creation. Scientists are trying to get hints or clues to the beginning of the universe. Mm-hmm. Genesis 1-1 tells us this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then if we skip down to verses 14 through 19, it specifically talks about the creation of the stars and the heavenly bodies. Mm-hmm. In verse 14 of Genesis 1, it says this. Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years 
and let them be lights in the expanse of the heaven in the, in the heavens to give light upon the earth and it was so and god made the two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars and god set them in the expanse of the heavens to give them light on earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness and god saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning on the fourth day so here we get the biblical response that behind the universe there's a creator who had planned this he's the one who created the sun the moon and put the stars in place he's the one that had the idea of the universe in mind mm-hmm. and he is the the one that is behind creation mm-hmm. um Brand, i'm thinking of what that means we have this this universe where they're measuring the distance between stars in light years the distance between galaxies and light years and a light year is a, a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, this mountain of that was seven light years apart, which, uh, and I forget exactly how many, but it's in the millions of years, maybe in the yeah. hundreds of millions of years apart. Now, that's a big universe. The point yeah, is, this, right. it's a big universe. Yes. And it would take a big God mm-hmm. to create that. Mm-hmm. Um, when we look at the, when I look at the stars and, a particularly clear night, I'm in absolute awe and wonder. I'm like, oh my goodness, God made that. He put that there. Well, walk it back just a minute. Think about it. I'm going to get a little philosophical here. What is the point Mm -hmm. of God creating these stars, these galaxies, billions of years of our billions of miles away what what's the point of them well i mean okay there's a couple things one is it tells us of his bigness yes it it does that's right awesome right he gave it to us for a purpose though too for for signs and for seasons for practical use for us because you know we didn't navigate we didn't always have uh gps right right right. but people in the sailing the seas would navigate by the stars the stars um, and it says that in Genesis 1. He gave them to us the stars for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. But, but think about it even further. Like these stars that we're looking at in that little sliver of a of a picture have no bearing on any of that. But there's still a purpose to them. Mm-hmm. So I remember being, uh, we were in Brazil on a mission trip several years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and it was one of the few times I was far enough away from a city out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, where there's no city lights at all. It was just pure pitch darkness except for the lights from the sky. And we stopped the the car and we got out for a minute and we looked up and we'd never seen so many stars because we always sit under the city lights, you know? And, and there's there just billions of stars all around us. And it really was one of those moments of awe and wonder of just looking up and realizing the vastness of space. And I think... It's it's twofold the purpose of all of the stars. Now, yes, some of them, you're right, were created for those purposes, and the Bible's clear about that. But for all of them to be created are to give us, number one, a sense of how small we are, and yet God still loves us. And on the other hand, how big he is, and yet he still loves us. You know, we can look up at those those vast billions of stars and realize the whole point of the creation of them was that we could know God in a greater way and how much he loves us.